I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberland. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome, and uh, how, how have you been this last month uh, with Christmas and New Year's happening? How, how have things been for you? I've been doing fine. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Happy New Year to you and Mary. It's so good to uh, start the new year off here at the podcast. Uh, my, uh, My Christmas celebrations were great. Thank you, especially the offering of the Midnight Mass at the cathedral. Uh, it's always a joy and one of my special blessings besides keeping the night vigil with everyone there is that it's one of the days I get to in the name of the Holy Father offer the plenary indulgence the apostolic blessing so Mm. that's always uh, a a joy for me for Christmas beautiful I know such a such a beautiful time of year. I'm always always sad when it's when it's over because then we just enter into the dreariness of winter, you know. But uh, <laughs> one one thing that I wanted to ask is I, I know a lot of times people this time of year they'll they'll start making kind of a New Year's resolution or, or some sort of resolutions. Is that something that you've traditionally done, Archbishop, or, or did you do any resolutions this year in particular? Uh, this year in particular, I've made two. One is I need to visit the treadmill a little more regularly. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yep. (laughs) And the other is uh, I want to renew my uh, uh, resolve to pay attention when I celebrate the Liturgy of the Hours. I Mm. haven't been giving myself wholeheartedly enough to that prayer, and I need Uh to uh, I need to start over again. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I know it's so hard to stay focused, especially when it's something you have to do in your everyday rhythm. It can become. Uh, wrote her, her so that's a, that's a really good resolution, Archbishop. Yeah. Well, awesome. thank you. <laughs> Mike asked me if I had any resolutions for this year before we started recording, and I said I'm still thinking about it. He said, "Well, it's January 4th, so you might want to get on top." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one of the resolutions is not to procrastinate. Yet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And there you go, um, Mike. What about you? Did you make any New Year's resolutions? Um, I, well, I've kind of in in line with Archbishop. You know, he said visiting the treadmill. I, I've already started uh, kind of on a, a weight loss and and general health uh, journey uh, since Great. September. So my job is just to continue that on. So I would say that's the biggest one. But beyond that, just trying to be. I think the focus for me is always like I'm just trying to be a better human. You know, so more virtuous and <laughs> more generous, kind, all those things. You know, so yeah, I like it. We had a, it was an interesting Christmas break for us. We, you know, being away and kind of moving through the holidays. On December 31st, our church went through a historic moment where uh, Pope Benedict um, the 16th passed away on December 31st at 95 years old. So I know over the last week, I've been watching a lot of news coverage. And Archbishop, I was wondering if you had any reflections. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your thoughts as we move through this kind of uh, time of mourning, but also celebration. Um, what are your thoughts on Pope Benedict's papacy? And like, what, did, what, did, what were you thinking the last week? Mostly I've been uh, thinking about uh, commending him to the Lord and handing him back. I always think that's part of mm the way we uh, Catholics bury someone is we offer their lives back to the Father along with Christ in the Holy Eucharist. So so then I start thinking about his life and I mean there's so many things to be said uh, about a man whose gifts are so rich, we're so rich, but Mm. again and again what I go back to is uh, the fact that he was above all things a disciple. 
When I was a, a student in theology, uh, one of the uh, things that made a tremendous impression upon me was uh, his book, The Introduction to Christianity. Mm. And he, he has a meditation there on the uh, uh, baptismal promises. And he mm. points out that when you come in, when somebody comes into the church, the bishop, the priest, the deacon doesn't say to them, what do you believe? Mm. The, uh, the question is, do you believe in God? Do you believe in his son? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church? So the person is presented with the faith of the church and is asked to immerse herself, himself into it. Mm. And um, that's the very shape of discipleship in the Catholic Church. And it's left a tremendous impression up upon me. It, I feel like uh, this man has identified for me uh, something that's at the heart of every Catholic's identity. And I think it's at the heart of his identity. Uh, everything he did, scholar, priesthood, uh, bishop of Munich, uh, leader in the Roman Curia, papacy, and the res resignation from the papacy, it's all been about uh, accepting the, dis the, uh, the identity of discipleship within the Catholic Church. I see that as well in his life and you know whenever somebody passes away but obviously with such a strong leader in our church there's an opportunity to look back on some of his words and some of his reflections so i've been doing a little bit of that this past week and just uh, kind of in, in the same way that you just spoke of his discipleship his um, understanding of humility is the word that just keeps coming to me when i think about his life and and his role in serving the church through like a humble understanding of who he is. It's a really beautiful thing I think that we can all learn from. Oh, I agree. And given uh, the uh, extraordinary talent he brought to uh, his life and work, uh, it's all the more remarkable that he was so humble because right. there are people with the kind, kinds of gifts, yep. even approaching his, mm -hmm. who can be very self-inflated. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I, I just want to, I, I saw something that's been shared quite a few times, and it looks like it might be a pretty um, solid source. His nurse had said that one of the last things that he said was, Lord, I love you. And I think about that moment, because he had some reflections in these past few years about death and, and eternal life, and to have, you know, at the moment of your death and the hours approaching your death, to have Jesus on your heart so profoundly is, is a really lasting gift, I think, for me and my faith formation, to just live your whole life purely for God. And it's a reminder that, uh, you know, as strong as he was in the defense of the faith, mm -hmm. it was never about some sort of ideological commitment, but it was always about being faithful to Jesus. Yes. And that's why he was uh, uh, an adamant uh, witness to the gospel with, out of that uh, loyalty to Christ himself. Amen. And did you have, you had a chance to meet him? I've had, uh, I had a few different kinds of encounters, two that are okay. significant. Yeah. One, uh, when I made an ad limina visit, and uh, uh, he was the prefect for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, mm. and so uh, there was a long meeting with him uh, during the ad limina visit, and wow. always uh, uh, really an illuminative engagement. He always 
had something very much on point to, to share and say mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. give give a, an insight that really provided a significant direction for pastoral life. And then uh, I made one Adlamina visit with him as the Pope, and that mm-hmm. meeting too was, was very, uh, uh, it was a great privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll continue to, to pray for him and for his soul and, um, and also just kind of, uh, I think, rest in, in the wisdom that he's left with us because the wisdom that he left with the churches will be with us for the ages. So that's great. Because it's the gospel. He was yeah. a, a witness to the gospel. Yeah, yeah, so true. He didn't make it up. Right, 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 right. And he lived it, which is so good. So we want to move into our topic, if that's okay with you. And in keeping with the tradition, Mike talked a little bit about New Year's resolutions. Today, we're looking ahead at the future of the Archdiocese of Detroit. I think it's going to be a really fun episode to kind of vision where the spirit might be leading us. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your time with us, Archbishop Vigneron, because I know that we are nearing the time where you will submit your retirement uh, letter. Is that right? Resignation letter, Mary. Resigna- yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, I turned seventy-five in October, and okay. uh, after the Second Vatican Council, there's uh, now a universal law in the Church that okay. bishops submit their resignation upon reaching the age of seventy-five. Okay. And so you will submit that the letter of resignation when? In October. Uh, okay. At, at my birthday. Okay. And is it a form letter, or do you actually write a specific? No, it's a real letter. letter. You write okay. it to the Holy Father. And, <laughs> I, 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 I'm just asking. I don't know. Okay, awesome. And then it says, I, just in looking a little bit of research on this, some bishops are their resignations are accepted within weeks, others not for a year or even two. So, what does the timetable look like, or is there really no way to kind of judge the timetable in terms of you as the Archbishop in Detroit? I don't think there is a way to uh, particularly predict the timetable. You can have some indications. There are there can be evidence uh, that even the the re- resigning bishop knows that it should be accepted sooner rather than later. But this is a way to be at the disposition of God's providence through the authority of the Holy Father and His co-workers. Uh, it's their estimate about when the right time is. And so it's a little bit like uh, 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 Our Lady before the Annunciation. She has to wait on the Lord's good time. Yes. You have to wait and uh, see what God, uh, how, how God's providence unfolds. So yeah. there's no way really to tell for sure. Okay. Hmm. I love, I, I read that you recently told the clergy of the Archdiocese, this is not my obituary. Rather, we are simply writing the preface to the next chapter of the Archdiocese, a chapter that will be written by all of us in unity with our next Archbishop. I give God mm. thanks ahead of time for what we will accomplish in the next year or two as we prepare for the next chapter. So there's a real kind of beauty in the, the transition, right? There's something bl- a blessing of not knowing the exact time, right? We're just looking ahead, but also preparing. That's right. I mean, I yeah. think uh, you look ahead in, in the way that's appropriate. And yep. I'd like to have things uh, in good order so that when the next bishop comes, he'll be able to continue to lead the diocese uh, on our missionary journey. So cool. Archbishop, I love how you said that too, writing a preface to the next chapter. So you don't think of it as writing your concluding chapter. You think about it as writing a preface to the next chapter. And that's like really 
I, I like the, I like your wording. That's beautiful. Just thinking ahead and thinking about the next guy, which is uh, beautiful. But uh, I wanted to ask you. I know it's it's probably so easy, uh, especially like you know I've had you know jobs in the past, and you and you know you've given your two weeks or whatever. You know you have so much time left. It's easy to get in the mindset of just kind of coasting or oh I'll just leave that for the next guy or you just you kind of get in a different mind frame. But I know you are very much. Uh, focused on on the health of the archdiocese on on really handing off to the next archbishop or bishop uh something together and beautiful so uh, what are some of the things you hope to accomplish between now and october when you when you you know hand in that resignation letter if i could just comment a little bit before i identify those priorities mike actually uh the wisdom you've articulated about not coasting out has come to me from some of the uh, the lay leaders I look to to give me good advice about mm. sound leadership. And they have very much warned me about this kind of uh, sleepwalking toward the end. Mm. And they, they said, Archbishop, uh, the best way to avoid that is to articulate uh, a, a small number of priorities that can drive uh, you and your co-workers in making the best use of the time remaining. Hmm. And so uh, the wisdom, uh, I'm very grateful for that wisdom. I think it comes from uh, men and women who have a lot of experience in this area. Mm -hmm. Um, I prayed about it and uh, I came up with four priorities. uh, And I think of them principally as uh, lenses or uh, focal points uh, by which uh, the work of the diocese can be continued, by which our apostolic work, our missionary work can be continued. And they are, uh, I think we need to continue to focus on families of parishes, uh, Catholic schools, uh, communications, and priestly vocations. My question in uh, thinking about all of that was, what are the four focal points I could identify that continue the impulse of the synod. That really is the most important Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, I should have said that first, because that's first in my mind, not to to lose the momentum of the synod in these years, uh, that uh, these months that remain. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And what are four uh, drivers, to use the the leadership jargon, what are the four driving points that can help me keep us focused on the graces of the synod? And those were the four that I mentioned. Uh, families of parishes, schools, communication, and priestly vocations. I love that because it's so clear to me, um, having worked in the archdiocese during the time with you as the archbishop, that those four, and obviously that's why these four were chosen or came to you in prayer, they're so clearly marks of your leadership in this archdiocese and movements that have been really um, encouraging and inspiring as part of the laity to see our church and our archdiocese uh, intentionally working with these four areas. And it's it's so fruitful, I think. And so the intention behind it, I think, is so beautiful. Well, Archbishop, you mentioned those four uh, kind of priorities, which is great. And the first one you mentioned was family of parishes. I kind of want to ask you a little bit more in detail about family of parishes specifically. What, what would you say is your your goal, especially when thinking through, okay, I, I, this has got to be handed off to somebody else, you know, whether that be six months away, a year away, you know that there's a handoff. Uh, so, so what are some of the hopes that you have for um, your time left 
when it comes to family and parishes? What would say are some of your goals? Well, the the end goal is that uh, they function as uh, vital uh, uh, places, communities for uh, the new evangelization, for our missionary impulse. And in practice, a good way to test that is uh, to look at the missionary strategic plan that each family of parish should be working on right now. Some are already mm -hmm. written, as a matter of fact. But it, those plans are a very practical way to live out the missionary impulse. And there, you, you take another step behind that, and what do I need to do? What do my coworkers need to do? What do the clergy and the team in the family need to do to make those uh, families of parishes effective agents of evangelization? Hmm. It's, uh, I mean, put it simply, uh, I would like the, each family of parishes to uh, take up again uh, the mind of the synod, the pastoral letter, unleash the gospel, and start over and say, what do we need to do to make this real here in mm. Monroe or in Port Huron or Warren or in the central city of, uh, you know, of Detroit? Uh, what do we need to do? Uh, that's my goal, mm. is to have the families fo uh, uh, clear in their missionary focus and be engaged in it. And, mm. and each family will uh, live the synod the, what the Holy Spirit told us in the Synod uh, with its own character and its own charisms. It's going to be a bit different from place to place. Mm -hmm. And that's what the, that's what the, the clergy, the, past, the priests and the deacons, uh, the leaders and uh, the lay faithful in, in the family, that's what they, they can pray about and think about. It's all part of the family of, uh, of parishes, each family having its own uh, new Pentecost. So you really see the family of parishes as a, as, a, as a foot on the gas pedal of evangelization, if you will, yeah. just kind of full, full force ahead, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Very, very yeah. well put, uh, Mike, because otherwise, there's a danger where, where, you know, I think typically as Americans, we have the charism of getting things well organized. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes it can seem like organization is an end in itself, and it's not an end in itself in this case. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, we want uh, we've moved to families of parishes so that we can be an effective uh, agent for the work which is bringing Christ to people and people to Christ mm -hmm. and not just uh, uh, serving uh, the saved but bringing back the lost and many people who have never known Christ we yeah. need to keep that missionary uh, focus alive we need to uh, again and again, come back to uh, to the. Well, you're talking about New Year's resolutions. Uh, <laughs> this is one more. Right? This is always a good resolution for us. Yeah. Is to uh, keep our foot on this uh, gas, as Mike yeah. puts it. Yeah. And the current status is we've the wave one is completed, right? The work is still ongoing, but and now we're in wave two, correct? They actually that uh, wave two has also been launched. Okay. And what's okay. going on is uh, so, some of the peri the families in one and two are far along on working out their missionary strategic plan. Others are not so far along, but uh, 
I and my co-workers, especially the auxiliary bishops, were wor working devotedly to help them move forward with those plans and to implement the plans and to, to uh, assess how, how well they're doing. And you said the missionary strategic plans. Can you just briefly remind us what that is for each of the families? Well, uh, it would be to go back to uh, the uh, uh, milestones, the uh, markers in the uh, uh, pastoral letter in Unleash the Gospel, mm -hmm. and to look at the, uh, to do an assessment, look at the, the data about what's going on in the parishes within the family, and to ask themselves, where's the Holy Spirit calling us to be to move forward with these, uh, these markers, uh, these milestones that we need to accomplish in, in this place at this time? Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's going to be a little different from each place. The Holy Spirit will give light. I mean, it, <clears throat> there'll be a lot of similarities because we're all living out the synod but uh, it, it will take on a different incarnation in every context. I know you said another one of your priorities is Catholic schools, and I've mentioned before that I have such a heart for Catholic schools, both because my kids are in Catholic schools and I'm now working for a Catholic school, so I have, I have so much passion behind it. It's been so encouraging to watch the work of the Archdiocese in this area. So what is, what is your goal for Catholic schools as you think about these priorities and these markers? Well, I'd start again with the Synod, Mary. Uh, mm -hmm. The Synod clearly said, uh, reminded us mm -hmm. that Catholic education is the responsibility of all the faithful of the Archdiocese, not just the responsibility of parents whose kids are in our Catholic school, or not right. just the responsibility of uh, a parish that uh, sponsors a school, has a school. It's, it's something that uh, we all do, just like we all take care of the poor. Uh, mm -hmm. This is something for all of us to do. And, but to make that effective, uh, the, we need to have this instrument for evangelization be as, uh, as excellent as possible. And so we've got uh, four pillars uh, that we uh, are using to build up our schools so that they are the instrument of evangelization that the Holy Spirit tells us they need to be. Uh, the pillars are Catholic identity, academic excellence. We need our schools to be accessible to all. Uh, what's that translate? We need to get to a point where any families that want their children in our schools can have that experience. Yeah. And we need our schools to be sustainable for the future. We mm -hmm. need them properly governed. We need them properly financed. I love how each of those is articulated in a way that can really help um, every family, right, uh, evaluate and the diocese evaluate how we're doing and where we need to move. So um, those pillars are a real gift to our church as well. Well, uh, and they're very important for us uh, so that we don't slip into thinking that our schools are an alternate, uh, uh, simply a, uh, a private alternative to the public schools. Uh, we even need to be uh, bold enough to make the case that we can do school better than anybody else. And we can do a better job because we have a better understanding of the human person. And we know that in preparing a child for the next stage in life, whether that's from kindergarten to elementary, 
uh, from elementary to secondary, secondary to university, and then beyond, and on to life, that uh, what we're doing is preparing them to live a fruitful life in this world uh, so that they will give God glory and enjoy happiness forever. Uh, we come to our students with an awareness that they have uh, a, a, a calling. Um, everybody's born with a mission in life that's both uh, of this world and aimed toward the next. And that's what we have to help our students uh, see and get ready for. That echoes so well different things I've been reading about Pope Benedict and his words in terms of education and the sciences and how all of these fields are, they're gods, right? And so if we can really explore that and dive into that, our schools are, they're places of vibrant education and excellence. So it's awesome. Beautiful. Archbishop, I know you said uh, that third objective or priority that you have is uh, communications, which... Uh, Surprisingly, actually, I, it totally makes sense. I was kind of surprised when I was uh, when I was hearing you say all those four, and I was like, "Oh, communications, interesting." As I know, you guys have actually done, especially down at the curia level, uh, a lot of shakeup and a lot of differences in communications, and you can see kind of a new uh, a thrust that is, that's being done, you know, through podcasts and and really trying to meet different needs of the digital age. Um, did you want to express a little bit more? What did you mean when you said communications is one of the very specific priorities between now? Uh, and how to write this preface for the next bishop, right? Well, again, uh, let me preface the remark, uh, Mike, by going back to the Synod. The Synod was very clear in saying that uh, our local church, the Catholic Church in Southeast Michigan, needs to avail ourselves of all of the uh, effective a a means for communication in order to share the gospel. Now, mm. those means are not their... Uh, an end in themselves, but for the, therefore the sake of sharing Christ and bringing Christ to others. And so uh, right after the Synod, we dived into this uh, with uh, uh, our whole self. I think we've made uh, a lot of progress, especially at the level of the Archdiocese in revamping our communication. I think we're, uh, we're using a lot of new uh, means of communication. And so where I think uh, we need to go in the future are on these two paths. One, to do an assessment of where we are and keep, uh, uh, keep on a solid path at the diocesan level. But perhaps the new place we need to think about being is how can uh, my colleagues in communication assist the parish leadership, the, the leadership in the families of parishes, in being more effective in their communication. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the uh, uh, positions that uh, we look to each family of parishes to establish is a, a director of outreach. And in fact, all of the uh, uh, mission direct uh, leadership should be helped with communication. And what can we do uh, what can the, the really the very talented professionals uh, who are my coworkers in communication, what can we do to help uh, the parish leadership be more effective in its communication, their communication? Yeah. That's what I have in mind. Yeah. You know, it's funny, too, I was reminded when you brought back the synod and communications, one of the things I think that we did so beautifully uh, leading up to the synod was having those listening sessions. And... 
you know, at each parish, there were there was held a listening uh, session, and that was an opportunity to ask some very concrete, specific questions, and then hear and receive feedback from the faithful. And I always tend to think with, with communications, we, we tend to think about what we want to say and what we want to communicate. But as we know, communication is both ways. It's what we have to say, but also listening and hearing back too. So I think that's a great goal. Uh, but most especially, I think with the listening piece too. And I, and I, I think the Synod did that beautifully. And that'd be beautiful to see that continue on as well. Thank you. I always say this, but the team that we have established, I think, um, for the Archdiocese and communication, you reference this, you said this, they're just so professional and excellent at the way that they approach all the different ways of communicating with the faithful. And I think that's a real, it's a, it's a gift that not every diocese has. And so it's something we shouldn't take for granted here. Oh. And, and I would also go on to make this comment. Uh, mm -hmm. They're not hired guns. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're disciples, they're mm -hmm. believers. Yeah. And they know they're talented, um, not in any proud way, but right. they're, they're aware that they have certain talents and gifts, and they want to use them for the sake of serving Jesus. Hmm. And I admire that very much about them. Yeah, that's so key. The last kind of priority that I think we'll talk about is priestly vocations. And so we know that there's been um, a lot of good work done in terms of looking at vocations in our archdiocese. I wanted to ask you, what are what is your goal for priestly vocations in the archdiocese as we move through this time? Well, I put this uh, down as a, a focal goal uh, because uh, I don't want to let, let up on this pedal either, as yeah. Mike, <laughs> Mike uh, use Mike's metaphor. <laughs> I want to keep us focused on this year of prayer for priestly vocations, and that means uh, all the faithful to uh, continue to pray ardently for this, uh, to, for me to continue to remind uh, and support the priests about encouraging likely candidates to think about the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And that, that's not, the, but the role of the parish priest is very important in that, but really the role of everybody to uh, be encouraging of vocations. Uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, very attractive paths that talented young men can follow in the world today. And some of them aren't as scary as the possibility of being uh, a priest. Mm -hmm. Because uh, one of the things we know is uh, uh, more and more uh, we're having to ask men who think about the priesthood uh, to reach down and uh, get in touch with their courage to run the risk that goes with the priesthood. Oh. So I think the faithful can encourage uh, uh, vocations as well. Besides uh, their prayer, they, they can, uh, in their general attitude toward the priesthood, and also when they see uh, fellows who might, seem, might fit the profile, encourage them to think about the priesthood. I love that in our parish, and I know parishes all over the Archdiocese of Detroit, every Sunday we're still uh, doing that prayer for priestly vocations. And one thing that's really beautiful about it, I look at my children as we go to Mass, and they just have that prayer memorized now. It's just a part of who, you know, as, as repetition and things like that. And so, um, and of course, my three sons in particular, just knowing as we pray that with our community, right, that we're really trusting in the Holy Spirit to do big work here. And I love thinking about all of us praying that together. It seems like maybe one of the more simple things that we've done in that area, but I think it's one of the most impactful that we're all praying together for this common goal for the Archdiocese of Detroit. And here again, you know, I didn't make that up, Mary. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think we can find a place in the sacred scripture, in yeah. the gospels, where it's Jesus who tells us to do this. Yeah, you know, right. pray, pray <laughs> the Lord of the harvest to send yep. laborers into the harvest. Yeah, yeah. 
So as we talk about the priorities, I wanted to dive in just a little bit for some um, into some of the key strategies for um, advancing these priorities and how they were determined. So when you think about um, some of the strategies that you're thinking of, do you want to share a little bit with us in terms of which strategies you're gonna we're gonna focus on as an archdiocese through your leadership? Before I identify them, let's uh, maybe say a word uh, about the whole approach. Yeah. So I came up with the through prayer with these four priorities to keep my foot on the synod pedal to mm-hmm. get back to Mike here. Yep. Uh, and I, I asked my coworkers in the Korea, in the Chancery, to, to start on the path of coming up with a, a map to get us forward on these priorities. And they were noodling about it. They prayed, they, they had discussions, and they said, you know, Archbishop, uh, we'll, there are three strategic moves, if we make them, that will uh, take us ahead on these priorities. And so we're not uh, engaged in a thousand different little pieces but we can do these three things and if we get these uh, on on the path, if we're on the path with these things, we will uh, uh, move forward in the priorities, which I thought made a lot of sense in organizing work. And so the priorities are support uh, the healthy team of priests, the priests who are in solidum or one pastor with several associates help them be a healthy team. Uh, a second uh, touchstone strategy is build healthy relationships between uh, the downtown offices, the Korea, and uh, with the parishes and schools, uh, the ground, the on the ground instruments for evangelization. So, healthy teams of priests good relationships between uh, diocesan leadership and underground leadership. And uh, then uh, the third uh, strategic uh, uh, key strategy is uh, have the uh, uh, structures in the families of parishes be sound. So if we can, if we can make those moves if I mandate to them that they can make these moves and work mm-hmm. on these moves, mm-hmm. this is the way to advance the priorities. Yeah. Oh. Gosh, I see that so clearly too. It's it's such a good kind of um, structure or meat for accomplishing what we want to accomplish. You need each of these three pieces to be able to do the work that uh, we've been called to do. So I really see the Holy Spirit in, in the touching of each of those areas. Yeah, very much so. I think... Um, I really like how you laid it out too, Archbishop. And it, so it's, you know, you have your four, four priorities, then you have these are the three areas that we really have to focus on as a strategy in, in order to make those four priorities become, uh, move along further. Um, did you have any like specifics as far as like, you know, you, I, I know you mentioned supporting priests and then building healthy relationships between the downtown offices and parishes and schools, uh, investing uh, into the family and parish structure and making sure that that all goes well. Are there any like concrete or specific things that come to mind when you when you think of each of those uh, or a way in which you and your career office you, you see um, executing those specifically? Does anything come to mind? Or Well, uh, one thing that's very uh, much on the, our minds and has been recommended to me by my coworkers 
is uh, uh, a, a conference in 2023 uh, that uh, is a kind of a mirror of the amazing parish conference we had in 2015, uh, a kind of a way to relaunch us again in our uh, experience of making a commitment to be a church on, on mission. Mm -hmm. I think uh, we need these kinds of, uh, of ways uh, to uh, reappropriate uh, the, the synod you know, two important things have happened since the Synod, uh, not least uh, the COVID shutdown and everything we've experienced uh, mm. uh, as a result of COVID. And this move to families of parishes has taken a lot of our uh, initiative as well, a lot of our energy, I should say. Mm. And so we need to look for occasions where we can come together uh, and pray and give one another mutual support to relaunch, unleash the gospel. That, mm. That's what we're looking for. And especially the times for prayer. Uh, we're, we're trying to identify appropriate times for communal prayer uh, so that uh, we can pick up again the graces of the synod. Uh, you know, we, I, th I think here about our Lord's parable of the seeds Mm -hmm. uh, we want to make sure that the synod seeds don't fall on rocky ground right. or uh, they're not, uh, can't remember the kind of ground it is where they spring up and then not very much happens because there's right. not a root. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, mm -hmm. We need to go back, be sure that the ground is uh, well prepared and uh, take up again the seeds for the new evangelization. It's cool to look at the past, too, and in terms of leading our way to the future, because the Synod in itself and then the amazing parish conference, I just remember everybody being on fire in, in terms of like priests and pastors, associate pastors and the lay faithful after attending those two things, like so excited and so energized. And I love the idea of thinking of coming together again with that same type of enthusiasm, joining together under a common goal, right? Because sometimes we can focus so much on the differences or the difficulties in working in parish life or church work. Um, and I think it's so important to rally us to the joy in, in being joyful missionary disciples. And I think when we gather together in the right environment, that happens so clearly. I, th I think, Mary, uh, this is something that I and, well, anybody who has leadership, but given the leadership that the Lord has entrusted to me, I need to be mm -hmm. a particularly good steward of, mm -hmm. is the, the grace of enthusiasm. Yes. Uh, and uh, a, the grace that counteracts uh, uh, discouragement, being disheart disheartened, uh, the feeling that it's mm. the same old, same old, we've tried mm -hmm. this before, nothing ever works, uh, why, mm. why bother, uh, go through the motions, just to keep on the treadmill. I guess I've said enough to yeah. communicate <laughs> the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But... Uh, when we have a sense that we can achieve a good, mm -hmm. uh, the human spirit is energized in that way. Yes. And that, that's true at, at any uh, endeavor. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I think coaches are very much aware of that in sports. Well, we have uh, a, a divine coach, uh, a divine uh, paraclete, mm -hmm. a, a divine counselor, uh, the Holy Spirit, who can restore our energy, our 
our confidence in what he can do in us. And uh, these uh, months that remain, I hope that I can uh, fulfill my responsibility of being uh, a vehicle for the Holy Spirit to restore our energy. Uh, one, one of the things Pope Benedict, I think he made this point, if I recall correctly, is that uh, the Holy Spirit makes, th makes us young. Uh, we don't grow old and stale, but mm -hmm. we grow young and, in, and enthusiastic. Mm. There's something beautiful about that, too. <laughs> if we can just get in touch with that, that power, that yep. uh, uh, rejuvenating power of grace. Yeah, so good. Um, we covered so much during this podcast. It's so good. It's it's exciting to think of where the Spirit is leading the Archdiocese of Detroit. I wanted to ask you just because we know that many of the faithful listen to this, people that are, you know, going to parishes, working in parishes. So I wanted to, what can the faithful do to support the Archdiocese of Detroit in terms of these priorities and these action items? How can we be of service to this if we're not working downtown, but we're, we are enthused and we do want to see great things happen in our Archdiocese? What are some things we can do? I think a, a very good way to focus one's energies is uh, with the Missionary Strategic Plan. Mm -hmm. uh, to contribute to it, uh, to even uh, simply to stay in touch with where the parishes, uh, the parishes are in developing the plan, and mm -hmm. to pray that the plan uh, advances uh, with God's wisdom and light, mm -hmm. and that uh, with God's love and strength uh, it be implemented. So right. the work, come up with the plan, work the plan, and mm -hmm. be uh, be ready or, or uh, don't hesitate to ask uh, uh, my co-workers uh, in the chancery for whatever mm -hmm. assistance is, would be useful to come up with the plan or to advance the plan. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you need to bring people to Christ. Mm -hmm. Amen. Archbishop, I know we obviously this has been a long, long, long episode in a way. We've talked about it, we've covered a lot of stuff. But was there anything else you wanted to add, or anything else in particular that you feel was was unmentioned that you'd like to mention? Well, it's it's not unmentioned, but I'm going to say it again. <laughs> we've talked a lot about organization and leadership, and you know uh, we're an incarnate church, and we have to use mm -hmm. the the light and wisdom that any organization would have. Uh, whether it's uh, a commercial organization or uh, a state university or whatever. But uh, this is for us a work of grace, and it's not uh, all of this, org this organizational uh, approach is not a goal in itself, but it's, it's about a means to fulfill the Lord's mission. The mission of uh, Jesus wants everybody to be a disciple because he wants everybody to know his father and he knows that's what's going to bring them joy and it's the will of his father and it's what he thought was worth giving up his life for and i just want, want to keep taking us again and again to that long-term end which oh. is the glory of god and the salvation of souls it's so great that you say that too, and articulating it in that way that that, I mean, all of this, like you say, is a means to an end. And I think sometimes we can confuse or easily think 
that, oh, he's doing this so that, you know, the church is healthy, or we're doing this just to get more people in the church, you know, or it's financial. Some people think it's about survival from a financial standpoint, but I, I love that you, you know, you brought it back once again to this is, it's about what Christ wants to do here, and that's about bringing people to the Father, and that's beautiful. So thank you so much, Archbishop, for all of your work. Thank you for your entire, what, 14-year uh, episcopate and all the service you've done, and 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 even now in this latter chapter, if you will, staying your eyes focused, you know, you have your eyes on the prize, and um, thank you for that. So you're you're very welcome. Yeah, yeah, I think there's something so cool about knowing that uh, sometime in the next two to three years there'll be a transition, maybe even before that, in our archdiocese, and that uh, the way that uh, you're approaching that work to put us in such a good position, it's really beautiful. So I echo Mike. Thank you so much for your leadership there. You're very welcome, Mary, and thank you both for your leadership in uh, the service of the gospel. I know you're both very devoted to uh, bringing people to Christ. Or at least attempting to. (laughs) (laughs) Doing our best (laughs) with all the flaws. Yeah. Archbishop, as we close, I wanted to ask, of course, as usual, before we do a final blessing, was there anything specific that we could be praying for you uh, for in this next month, any of our listeners can be praying for you for? Well, I set up as a, a renewed priority, a, a confirmed priority, prayer for uh, those who are called to the priesthood here in the archdiocese will be here and answer. So uh, just uh, recommitment, recommit to that prayer for priestly vocations in the archdiocese. Mm-hmm. And Archbishop, if you wouldn't mind closing us with a prayer and blessing, that'd be great. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for all that you have so graciously uh, done through our humble service and we give you praise and thanks for what you will accomplish we ask you to pour out your uh, divine grace upon all who hear and this podcast and give us the strength to serve you faithfully and my almighty god bless you the father and the son and the holy spirit Amen. Amen. amen thanks so much archbishop you're welcome Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like I Am Here, a new podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.